You are Locked On Tigers, your daily Detroit Tigers podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What is up, everybody? We are back here for another edition of Locked On Tigers. I am, of course, your host, Scott Bentley. Today is Tuesday, November 9th, 2021. We are continuing our player breakdown series today as there is no news in the Tigers front in free agency. The only moves to really happen so far, uh, just before we get started, Michael Conforto has declined already his qualifying offer. There is an overlap period, as we talked about in yesterday's show, uh, where you uh, between when qualifying offers have to be accepted or declined and free agency to give a player's kind of a, a week or so to understand their market and figure out if they want to accept that or not. And 24 hours into free agency, he has already declined it. Um, doesn't necessarily rule out him coming back to the Mets entirely, uh, but it, it is pretty wild to be that confident in your market when you're not a, a, a you know, Carlos Correa hasn't even technically declined his yet at the time of this recording, at least. So uh, pretty, pretty, pretty big boy move there. From Michael Conforto uh, and then Andrew Heaney signing with the Los Angeles Dodgers, formerly of the Angels, and then the Yankees trade at the deadline to New York. Uh, really, really, really struggled this year. He is uh, very much a a pitcher that analytics love, but has not really turned that that analytical kind of kind of. I don't even know what I'm trying to say here, but but the the analytics community has been kind of like, oh, Heaney could be something, he could be something. A lot of analytics point to him being a lot better than the production that he has shown so far in his career, especially the last couple of years. Um, and uh, but if anyone can, I don't I don't really like using the word fix, but if if anybody can get that dude on track and get him to what people once believed he could have been, it is certainly the Los Angeles Dodgers. So he returns to LA in the form of the Dodgers rather than the Angels. And that's about it so far. Nothing really else on the Tigers front. Uh, nothing really else on any other front. I'd, there is kind of a, a rumors flying around that one-year deals might happen a lot before the CBA and then the, the long-term bigger deals will probably wait until after the CBA has been finalized, probably in uh, looking into 2022. But we are here to do another player breakdown, and that means breaking down, as, as the title of the episode has uh, has ruined for you, ruined the suspense, we are, in fact, finally breaking down the two-time MVP, the Triple Crown winner, 11-time All-Star, World Series champion, seven-time Silver Slugger, four-time batting title champ and uh, and just future first ballot Hall of Famer Miguel Cabrera. He will be the uh, the player breakdown today. There's a lot of interesting stats involving Miggy, involving his, uh, his his potential future. He has two years left. He said it. Um, the the two years left. I believe there's there's some sort of option after two years anyway that. Uh, I, I don't think would get picked up. So uh, I, I think both parties are very aware that there's two seasons 
of Miguel Cabrera left, and that is very much uh, that that seems very much set in stone. So this uh, this May or May this March will be Miguel Cabrera's second to last opening day as a member of the Detroit Tigers, which is always sad. And and as we are all very well aware, his his skill set is certainly nowhere near what it used to be. Uh, this this guy in his prime. It will always be one of the greatest pure hitters I have ever laid my eyes on. Um, truly unbelievable uh, ability to to hit anything in the strike zone, hit anything outside of the strike zone, hit anything to any direction of the field, hit anything for power to any direction of the field. Drawing a walk really whenever he's so pleased, um, and and not striking out too terribly much on top of all that. Just uh, has always been, and in his prime, man, just just unbelievable, unbelievable. I, I'm not sure I'll I'll ever be as as blown away by a hitter uh, from a pure what they do in the batter's box perspective as uh, as I was during that three or four year stretch of prime Miguel Cabrera. Gave him a ten year extension. We are uh, obviously to, to any big deal in baseball. It's 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 worth it, and the you know player players deserve to get paid. It's it's worth it. It's it's worth what what he was doing at the time. It was worth it even the first few years, and then by by the end of that contract, it um it it, it the production goes down, and their their value is no longer worth what that was. Be a pay for them at early on. Uh, to, to lock them up early on and, and get that production that they provided early on when we were in contention. So uh, still, a, a, and if you want to go into my, my huge spiel and rant about how Miguel Cabrera's contract is not like some horrible, oh my goodness, this is, this is not worth it at all. Uh, I, I believe one of my, I, th- I think it was the episode after he hit 500 actually. I think that one was, I think it was that one. I, I don't know. I'd have to double check, but um, a lot of, lot of interesting stats here. A lot of interesting stats about Miguel Cabrera. So let's just start with, with the baseline total season stats from 2021. Okay. In 130 games, he had a 256 average, a 316 on base percentage, a 386 slugging percentage. That was a 92 WRC plus. So for uh, runs created, weighted runs created, he had 8% below league average. His fan graphs were be negative 0. 0.0, sorry, negative 0.7. And his uh, baseball reference war would, I believe, I be negative 0.5. So a little more generous there, but still a negative war player overall. Um, the, the interesting thing is this is very much a season of two halves. The, the first two months of the year, Miguel Cabrera was absolutely putrid, and he really turned it around in June. Um, a, as he really has done his entire career, he has never been good the first few weeks of the season. And now it was more prolonged this year. It went all the way through May, but uh, really turned it around and, and put together a pretty respectable second half of the season offensively and uh, we'll we'll take a look at some of the reasons why Miguel Cabrera could actually still be a, a relatively productive bat for this team 
uh, over the next going into 2022 specifically, but but for the next two years of his contract. So we have that 92 WRC plus. Um, that would be his, his OPS on the season was 701, which is a 94 OPS plus, so six percent below league average in OPS. A lot of that was lost in in the 256 averages, whatever. I, as you guys are well aware, I'm not a huge advocate for batting average mattering too much. But when you compare it to the on-base percentage, 316, I guess in theory you'd like to see a little, maybe, you know, bump that up a little bit. And then slugging percentage is really where um, most of that, that barely 700 OPS really comes into play. I'm glad he finished over 700. That That's at least something he can hang his hat on, especially, again, we'll get into later for how bad he was the first couple of months. But um, it, it, it was definitely... It was definitely nice to see that. So uh, the slugging, like I said, ends at 386. Some of the uh, there there is some interesting stats. And why do I keep saying interesting? What a stupid word, bro. Means nothing. <laughs> Means nothing. Defensively, he played a lot more first base. We're going to start with that, and then we'll get into to breaking down kind of the deep dive of the offense. But starting off defensively, played. Obviously, this year he only DH'd and played first base, but uh, he was a negative four DRS player at first base in 367 innings. Certainly not not good, right? It's it, it's far from great. His UZR was negative 0.9. Again, not not good or, or great, but considering. The fact that that you until Torkelson's called up, you don't really have an everyday first baseman. I'm okay sending Miggy out there every once in a while still, and we'll get into some of the more reasons why I'm okay with it later, as it's been brought up by by a couple of people that listen to the show too uh, on Twitter. But follow at uh, Locked On Tigers, by the way. Negative four DRS, negative zero point nine UZR. So the range is is not horrible and negative again negative four and three hundred sixty seven innings is not is not good, but it's not so horrible that you're like oh my goodness he he should probably never play in the field again like like it's it's somewhat serviceable, right? Sir, I guess serviceable in theory would be zero, but it's it's somewhat not a complete, you know liability not not a complete Ryan Gosling and remember the Titans liability at cornerback right like it's it's not the worst thing you've ever seen and I guess we're we're really we're really I guess scraping the barrel if if our if our expectations are um you know not the worst thing we've ever seen but I guess what I'm just trying to say is it's not so bad that he is completely unplayable there he still can play the position and not be be too much of a detriment to your team out there at first base if you have to play him out there every once in a while. And and as long as that remains better than negative five, I, I, I guess I'm pretty okay with him still uh, going out there every once in a while, man. I, I, it's not, not the worst thing in the world. And, and obviously once Torgelson calls up, gets called up in late May or, or early June or whatever, 
that this will pretty much be nullified in a non-conversation. So that's why I kind of wanted to get out of the way first so we can go into the the offense, which is, you know, what he's mainly only going to do the next two years. But if you really needed him to start a, a game a week or something, you know, it's not not the worst thing in the world. I guess that's what I'm trying to say. All right, so thank you guys for making Lockdown Tigers your first listen every day, free and available on all platforms. And before we get into the offense, i got to tell you all about BetOnline.ag. We're back in better than ever, a new web interface for the start of basketball season. More props, odds, and lines than ever before. BetOnline remains your number one spot for all the basketball and football action this season. Head to our new updated desktop or mobile website, sign up today, and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Just use promo code LOCKEDON to receive your bonus from basketball, football, baseball, postseason, NHL, boxing, UFC, Right to your favorite Vegas casino games. Don't wait and take advantage of all the amazing offers available for the 2021 season. BetOnline is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your favorite sports. BetOnline, where the game starts. All right, everybody. We are back here for segment two at Locked On Tigers. Thanks for making Locked On Tigers your first listen every day. Free and available on all platforms. Let's get back into Miguel Cabrera. So something that I found interesting when looking at the offense, uh, Baseball Savant's a really fun website to use because it it it's more than just a number, right? Like with all these other stat websites, you, you see a number and you're like, okay, but what where does that compare to other people? And Savant's a great way to kind of look at the comparison of certain numbers to other people using those percentiles that we've talked about with some other people. So his average exit velocity was still in the 85th percentile in 2021. That's damn good. That That's borderline great. That, that might be considered great. Top 15% in all of baseball and average exit velocity, period. Not, not just, you know, in, in certain situations and not just his, like his max exit velocity, which was also 86th percentile for the record, but his average exit velocity on all balls he hit was still in the 85th percentile. So he's still squaring up baseballs, still hitting the ball hard. That's a very good sign and still leads to to production at the end of the day. His hard hit percentage, 88th percentile. Top 12% in all of baseball in hard hit percentage. So he's still hitting the ball hard. And that's encouraging. That, that leads you to believe that that he, he can still, especially, I mean, we saw in the second half of the season, his production uh, upticked a ton, but the, it, it still shows you that he has that ability to, at a bare minimum, he, he's going to put the ball in play and he's going to hit it hard. And good thing happens when you hit the ball hard, especially in a big park like Comerica Park. Um, I, I know sometimes that means that you hit 420-foot flyouts, but if, if, you, if you lower that, launch angle and and uh shoot a ball into the gap that's 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 productive man and and that big outfield in comerica there's still some damage to be done there's still damage left in miguel cabrera's bat as he chases 3,000 hits so so that's encouraging expected slugging percentage 44th percentile again that that one's not a not a fantastic mark. It's not even in the top half of the league, but but that's far from bad. I mean, I mean that's still relatively respectable. His barrel percentage was 49th percentile, almost right there in the middle, borderline top half of the league in barrel percentage. 
not bad at all. K percentage, 43 percentile, not horrible, not striking out a, a, a ridiculous amount. Whiff percentage, 42nd. Like, they're still, even though the numbers aren't what they once were, this is not a an absolutely just unplayable bat like he was in the first two months of the season. Um, and, and if he can, can replicate this in 2022 but do it over a full season and, and kind of have more of a, you know, get – get on the on the road and, and get the the gears turning earlier in the season um this this could this could still be a a, a pretty productive bat in this lineup and uh I, I'm not sure he should really be batting you know fourth anymore or third anymore like he's been doing for the last whatever 15 years now uh, almost but um I you know him in the seventh spot is is certainly not a not an atrocity. Still hitting the ball hard and not striking out a lot. Not not the worst thing in the world. So so I wanted to bring those up because I, I I thought that those were interesting. Then looking at some of his stats, his rate stats. So so walking walked at seven point six percent this past season. Not atrocious, but but not super good either which has been a reoccurring theme for a lot of these stats striking out 22.4 percent of the time well above his his career numbers when he used to you know back in in the prime when he was walking more than he was striking out right like like we're those days are far behind us um obviously as there's a 15 percent difference between those two numbers in favor of the strikeouts but uh, the, those again, those aren't unplayable. The, at the beginning of the season, there was a notion of oh, Miguel Cabrera should just retire because he's unplayable. He's absolutely terrible, and he he had such a good June through the end of the season that I I, I just want to put some of those to rest. If if he can do what he did in June through September uh, of, of this season, and and do that next year as well. This is far from somebody who is just unplayable, or or, or oh he he's so horrible he should just retire and, and not play anymore and whatever. That's that's not the case. There is still some production left in this bat, even if it's not what it once was. So we'll get into some of the uh, some of the more deeper and nitty gritty stats on the other side of this. All right, everybody, we are back here. For our final segment of Locked On Tigers, let's get into some of these stats for Miguel Cabrera. First off, the righty and lefty splits. Okay, the the OPS is almost identical against righties, a 702 OPS against lefties, a 698 OPS. But what is interesting is where those where that OPS is coming from for both sides versus righties. It's almost all coming from slugging. He only has a 306 on base percentage against righties, but a, but a 396 slugging percentage against righties. 12 of his 15 home runs this year were off right-handed pitching, and 13 of his 16 doubles were off right-handed pitching. But the OBP was only 306, whereas against lefties with a 698 OPS, OPS so only four points lower. He has a almost 20-point better batting average, a 34-point better on-base percentage, but the slugging drops 40 points. And that somewhat, somewhat evens out. So 
it, it's just interesting, something I found interesting, the fact that he was able to get on base a lot easier against lefties, but all of his power almost exclusively came against righties. Just something to look at for uh, f- for the following season. Uh, first half, second half, we've been talking about a lot. His first half, a 647 OPS. His second half, a 763 OPS, which is the now an over 100 OPS plus you're talking about. The slugging percentage was 430 almost, 429. was a 429 slugging percentage in the second half. And that 647 OPS is also, in the first half, is almost exclusively being held up to even being as good as it is from June. Because in April, he had a 531 OPS where he had a 140 batting average. In May, he had a 548 OPS where he was slugging 269. But then June was his best month of the entire season. An 850 OPS and a slugging percentage just under 500. 329, 356, 498 slash line. 850 OPS. That is damn good. And that would be comfortably his best month of the year. And then July, August, and September, he was pretty consistent. July, a 280 batting average, 326 on base percentage, 427 slugging for a 753 OPS. August, a 748 OPS. September, a 713 OPS. And he would end the season on a pretty big slump as well. So so a lot of that 713 OPS in September, October came from ending the season kind of on a skid. But but the first half of September, he was he was doing about what he did in July and August, right around a 750 OPS. And obviously in the entire second half had a 763 OPS. So you're seeing that there is still production to be had here. Again, there, there is still some, some results to be had. Now, this one is something that I find absolutely fascinating. Okay, even in 2021, and now he is still batting in the middle of the lineup, so that's fair. But even in 2021, Miguel Cabrera still being so important to this team's success in his 62 games played in wins for the team, Actually, I'm going to start with the losses because that's more mind-boggling. In losses, 68 games Miguel Cabrera played in in which the Tigers lost. He only had two home runs, had 76 strikeouts in those 68 games, had a slash line of a 189 batting average, a 247 on base percentage, and a 247 slugging. For a 494 OPS. In wins, 62 games, he had 13 of his 15 homers, 22 walks, only 42 strikeouts, and a slash line of a 328 batting average, a 386 on base percentage, and a 533 slugging for a 919 OPS. And that's not in a, a, a five to ten game sample. That's sixty two games for sixty eight games. A nine nineteen OPS in games that the Tigers won. Again, still some some production here. There's still a hitter in here that hits the ball hard and puts the ball in play, and has the ability to drive in runs and make an impact. A direct impact, clearly with a. 
over 900 OPS in the 62 games that he played in in which we won. Still some production to be had here. Now this one is probably the most fascinating stat there is for Miguel Cabrera. This has been a big topic of conversation in the fan base over the last year. Miguel Cabrera's numbers at different positions. Now he only played two, right? Played first base and designated hitter. 44 games at first, 83 games at DH. So even though a, a, almost double the amount of games at designated hitter, 44 games is still <clears throat> a respectable sample size. It's not it's not five or ten games or anything. That's still a, a, a reasonably full-ish amount of work. Okay. At first base, he would hit seven of his 15 homers, have 20 walks in 44 games, 31 strikeouts in 44 games, and would have a slash line of a 293 batting average, a 379 on base percentage, a 465 slugging for an OPS of 844. Okay, that's well, well over a 100 OPS. And that's even an over 100 OPS plus for first baseman specifically. First baseman, a very uh, offensive, offensively dominated position. It's, that's even, even well over a 100 OPS plus when just looking at first baseman numbers. 844 OPS, damn good. As a designated hitter in 83 games, he would have 20 walks, so the same amount of walks in, in almost double the games at that DH than first, 87 strikeouts in 83 games. He would have eight of his 15 homers, would have a slash line of a 233 batting average, a 279 on base percentage, a 339 slugging for a 617 OPS. That's fascinating. He doesn't even play that well of a defensive first base, as we talked about in segment one. However, if this is a trend that is going to carry into the next two years, I am by no means saying that Miguel Cabrera should be starting at first over Spencer Torkelson. Never going to come out of my mouth. That being said, until Torque comes up, or when Torque has a day off, or, or, or Torque tweaks a a hammy and ends up on the 10-day IL, which every baseball player ever will inevitably do at some point. Miguel Cabrera at first, not the worst option in the world. He's not going to give you horrific, just putrid defense. And his numbers this year were significantly better at the plate when he was playing in the field than when he was coming off the bench and just DHing. Really, really... Interesting stuff. Actually, no, it's not interesting because that's a stupid word. It's fascinating stuff. How about that? Okay, batting order by position. He really only hit in two different spots, either third or fourth. He had 37 games batting third with a 528 OPS, and then 90 games batting fourth with a 763 OPS. So just thought that was kind of something to look into 763, obviously significantly higher betting fourth than third. Another one I found kind of interesting was 
his stats when he swung at the first pitch versus when he took the first pitch, vastly different numbers. Swinging at the first pitch of an at-bat, um, he, he had 168 plate appearances this year where he swung at the first pitch. He had a 520 OPS, a 276 slugging percentage for a 520 OPS. Or when he took the first pitch, which was 358 plate appearances, he had a 789 OPS, which is well over a, a 100 OPS plus compared to the league when taking the first pitch. And the only other stat, we'll end on this one, that I kind of want to throw in there that, uh, that, that caught my eye was his stats in night games versus day games. Okay. In day games, he played in 49 games that were played during the day. He had three of his 15 home runs and had a slash line of a 218 batting average, a 269 on base percentage, a 302 slugging for a 571 OPS. At night games, 81 games played at night, 12 of his 15 homers, 27 walks, a 280 batting average, a 343 on base percentage, a 437 slugging for a 780 OPS, well over a 100 OPS plus. I just thought that one was kind of weird. Just, just, and, and it, as far as his clutch stats go, I, I know a lot of these guys I've brought up their stats as well as a scoring position and stuff. His are are not too dramatically different at this point, honestly between uh, when, when there's runners in scoring position and, and when there's not. They're, they're relatively similar. With runners in scoring position, he has a 703 OPS. And without runners in scoring position, he has a 660. So I guess he, he's a little bit better, but uh, not, not dramatic enough of a change to, to really bring up, even though I just did bring it up. <laughs> so there you go. So that is the game breakdown of the future first ballot Hall of Famer, Miguel Cabrera. That is is OPS at Comerica Park was 672, I guess. That's that's kind of something. His OPS at home was lower than his season OPS. So that's great. Um, but, but that is Miguel Cabrera. That is the breakdown. Hopefully, I, I wanted to walk a fine line here. I wanted to walk the fine line of him of trying to show that there is still production to be have without making it sound like he was ever going to be an all-star again. Uh, but, but also again, shining a light on, on his production and, and showing you that there is still some production there. And there, there is still an ability for Miguel Cabrera to, to drive in runs and, and, and be productive on a good team even if he's never going to return to, to what he once was. And so I hope I, I kind of walked that line decently well. Thank you guys so much for listening and making Locked on Tigers your first listen every day. Next episode, assuming no free agency news, will be uh, tomorrow. It'll be another player breakdown. I think we might go back to pitching and do either Scooble or Manning or something like that. Um, so, so yeah, we'll be back tomorrow. Now make your second listen locked on MLB prospects. Host a Ram Lighten is a prospect encyclopedia. He's going in depth and doing a deep dive of the MLB stars of tomorrow. It's free and available on all platforms. Thanks for rocking with me. Thanks for listening. Peace and love going to therapy's dope. And I will catch y'all 
tomorrow. Go Tigers, baby.